you know the, the mind is very um is very powerful it could be your biggest asset or your biggest detriment north melbourne star mad jack door almost died when he plummeted from the balti bridge we're here today with mad jack door it's a real real honor for me to be in your presence it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a while since I've last seen you. It's my pleasure to be on your podcast. I'm looking forward to it. My name is Berlin. As I said, this is Magic Door. And last time we met, I think, was back in 2015 at this kind of promotional Rolex event. Yeah, no, I remember that. I think it was um, run by LK Boutique at Cran, right? Oh, yeah. You're very sharp. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember that uh, quite clear. Yeah. And before that, mm-hmm. I think then that was 10 years ago in high school. Yeah, when we went to uh, Footscray City College, right? Yeah. That's it. Year seven. Yep. Yeah, infamous Footscray City College. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps we'll start mm-hmm. in high school. Yeah. In high school. How does that sound? Yeah, it sounds great. I think you immigrated as a refugee with your family in 2003. Yeah. The first place you lived in was on Ballarat Road in Footscray. Yeah. Yeah. And I may have first met you in church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was the name of the church again? I can't remember. Um, it was Our, Our, Lady. Our Lady's Perpetual Help. It was in Maidstone, a yeah. Catholic church. Yeah. No, I definitely do remember that. Yeah. Come, came here in 2003. Um, I think prior to coming to Footscray City College, just moved to um, Maidstone on Ballarat Road, which wasn't too far from the school when... We were sort of in um, the same class and shared some classes. The ESL, the ESL class in particular. Uh, was I in ESL with you? Oh, I, you were born here, weren't you? Yeah, but I think they might have still put me there because yeah. I was I was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do remember you. Was it Ad- Adnan Rafiq? Oh yes, uh, ESL. For those that don't know, <laughs> English is a second language. Mm. Yeah. Adnan Rafid, yeah. Um, yeah, Adnan Rafid. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a friend of ours. Amir, uh, a few of those guys that I remember. But yeah, like it, um, it was really the, f- the first, I guess, my way of settling in to Australia. Came to, came to that school. It was quite a big school. I remember, um, I remember, you know, we were pretty close and used to see your family at church on Sundays. Um, you were very faithful, yeah. very devoted. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if you <laughs> chose to or your parents kind of uh, yeah, encouraged I, you. I mean, grew up as grew up as a Catholic. I was an altar boy from um, when we lived in Egypt. But I think it was something that I that I always wanted to do because my my older brothers were altar boys as well. I guess not not too many people at the school knew I'd help the priest with the mass on Sundays, but it was a really good church. I can't remember. Father Brian Cosgrove. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. They did a lot for my family in terms of settling into the area. And I think on long weekends when would, when people would have public holidays, um, they'd invite us to their family's barbecue and, um, you know, getting a first taste of what people here get up to, having a taste of their culture. Back then when you went to church with your brothers and sisters and your parents I remember being in awe with how tight all of you guys were and I was altar boying with with you and you have an older brother Peter yeah he was massive yeah um, and then there was Augustino yeah how many of all you altar boyed uh altar served um, let's say me uh it was Peter by that stage he was I think he was 17 so he's a bit older but it was me Augustino and then um younger brother Anthony and Teresa would sort of come to altar, altar service practice during the week whenever it was on. But, yeah, um, 
quite a big family. To be honest, uh, during that time, we were like year seven, year eight, mm. going to church. And I wasn't too like open mm-hmm. or proud to mm-hmm. let my friends know at school that I was going to church and altar, altar serving. Yeah. You? Yeah, yeah it's very, very the same. I mean, it's one of those things. Religious is not something people speak proudly of. Growing up in Sudan and growing up in Egypt, it was just the norm. And I think even around in other countries, people go to church and it's a um, it's a thing people talk about openly, their faith. But for some reason, yeah, I felt the same. I didn't... Because um, it wasn't like cool. No, no, it was not It was not cool. It wasn't, um, I don't know, guys were talking about other things, um, kids around that age, you know, video games, PlayStation, and it was really never a thing that was mentioned, yeah. In your story... Many parts of it are quite public mm-hmm. and you're under mm-hmm. the spotlight, mm-hmm. especially um, when you're playing footy in mean, AFL. Mm-hmm. Personally, like that part of coming from a spiritual kind of background, do people know about that? Yeah, uh, yes and no. Uh, depends Depends really um, who, who I would speak to. But just in passing in conversations, I have mentioned it to um, some of my teammates over the years that I grew up as a Catholic, you know, used to go to church every Sunday. We had a few religious players. Uh, Is it okay to, <laughs> if I mention one of the players? Yeah, yeah, Andrew Swallow. So oh, okay. um, he's a, a renowned um, person who speaks about their faith openly and, um, you know, waited till marriage. The thing with, with Andrew Swallow, he's a, you know, he was a captain of the footy club. Um, he really led by example. Yeah, yeah. He was um, he was someone that I really looked up to when, when I was playing with him at North Melbourne. So, mm. Mm. When you're famous and people look up to you, mm. there's a lot of temptations. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot, there are a lot of temptations. And I think one of those things um, with having your faith, and especially in an, envir- in an environment like football, you can step aside from your values pretty easily. Most football players move away from their families and there are a lot of influences. And like we spoke earlier about, about um, it being popular, people could stray and, um, you know, get caught up in doing things that might seem cool. But it is definitely a challenge because there are, there are, I think, 45 players on a list. So... There's different types of personalities and different types of characters. 45 players like in, in one team. In one team, yeah. yeah. yeah, And varying ages as well. I mean, when you first come in, you're 18 and there are guys towards the end of their careers and guys um, in the middle. So They know more of yeah, who they are, yeah, they what know, they stand for. Yeah, they know who they are. So as a, as a young player coming into an environment like, you know, it's important to keep a level head and, and stay grounded. It can be a challenge, but I think it's a... Most football clubs have, have really good culture, but also at the same time they allow for, you know, young kids to make mistakes and all that stuff. So Back in year seven, year eight mm-hmm. in Footscray City College, I'm giving a shout out to that public school. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't huge by any standards no, at that time. No. Your, your older brothers were. Mm. I think there's been lots of like talk about how you came to Australia and you're already massive. Mm. And I was, I was so amazed by the, the kind of transformation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, on that topic, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been something, um, that's, that's been frustrating over the years. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, good genetics, thanks to mum and dad. Um, but yeah, I remember in year seven and eight, uh, it wasn't up, up until year nine that I, I had a growth spurt, but yeah, I was I was quite skinny at the time, and um, I was bigger than you. Yeah, I remember. I mean, we were like twelve, thirteen. Yeah, and you know, and I uh, I was really skinny. So when I tell people that, they find it hard to believe. But um, but 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 um, they say the ones that start late, they're the ones that bloom in. Yeah, yeah, make it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, came into year nine and year ten. You know, I um, 
going through puberty and stuff. And, and that's when you moved schools. Yeah, that's when I moved schools, yeah. Went to Catholic Regional College in North Kilo. I was uh, yeah. actually sad yeah. when you just left yeah. one day. Oh, I had no choice. <laughs> Mum and dad, um, they got a bigger house just in, you know, like it's a, because we were really good friends and, um, you know, it was just, it was, um, yeah, it was sad that have to move and make new friends and um, I'm not too sure if uh, if you felt the same way, but um, when you when you first start year seven, it's it, it's a bit daunting, you know, going to a new place, not knowing too many people. But um, I guess that is life, isn't it? Yeah. Have you shared a little bit about mm. when you were going through high school, dealing with mm. bullying? If that's something that we could yeah. touch upon yeah, during that time. Yeah, during that time. I mean, even at um, Footscray City College, I, I do. I remember. I remember. I got bullied a bit and got into a lot of fights because there, there weren't really that many people um, from refugee background. Um, it was tough. Yeah, it yeah. was tough. But um, you know, my, my parents were really big. They were huge in terms of just, you know, not reacting to your emotions. And I guess it's a, it's all part of growing up and trying to make better choices around that. So I remember listening to something that you shared and. You said that your father mm-hmm. had a important influence on you in that at a very young age he taught all of you guys like ways of being a good person, values, set strong foundations, foundations for, for the family. Yeah, because he taught us at school. I'm not too sure if he felt pressured because um, we were the principal's kids, but I think he, he also comes from, um, you know, a strong family. Um, oh, so he was the principal of the school? Yeah, he was the principal the, in of the Sudan. school. Yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, I remember there's quite, there's a story where, uh, where um, you know, I was being naughty in class. My uncle was teaching me. He was the teacher, and uh, he told me off. And I, uh, I went to swing at him. I think I might have been six, six years old. And um, back then, uh, you know, in Sudan, grew up. If you got in trouble, you get the strap, or teacher hits you in the hand uh, with the ruler. So I that was normal. Yeah, that was normal. I mean, it it wasn't seen um, as any as anything different so I got in trouble with him and then got sent to the principal's office and I was and I'm like oh well my dad's a principal so surely I'll get away with this and I got in even more trouble so yeah I think from a young age even when we had chores around the house we were up really early our cousins also lived with us some good values were instilled at a young age and I'd like to think hopefully I can keep instilling those values into Hendrix so when we were in high school I found that you were always so kind mm. and respectful mm. to everyone. Mm. And even when there were kids who were abusive and bullied you or I, or mm. just people who weren't generally accepted at that time, you may have gotten angry or retaliated, but really you were so gentle that things pass. And I was, I was picked on a lot. Yeah. Till this day, I, I still I appreciate so much that you were, Mm. They're still by my side. And yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. we tend to be drawn towards who's popular. Yeah. 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 And and at that time, yeah. um, it was just seemed like there was something kind of, I felt like there was something like against me. Yeah. Um, because mm-hmm. just being Chinese and mm-hmm. and not fitting in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, um, you tend to learn and obviously, um, that's one thing I guess from a young age, I really... I really never wanted to change. I mean, you evolve as a person as you grow up, grow up. But you know, I always want to stay true to myself and kind to people. Um, remember, someone once told me, you know, it, it doesn't cost anything to be nice to people, and I feel like it's easier uh, to be nice and respectful than to be harsh and, uh, and unkind towards others because it, it it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? You know, it gives me peace of mind. I mean, if 
if people don't uh, treat me like the way I want to be treated, I guess it, it, it's really a reflection of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You and your family made the change and mm-hmm. you went to different school. Did that in some ways feel like a fresh start? Yeah, 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 in a way. Also, we, we had uh, we had other families who were living in the area, uh, my auntie, so that was really important that we saw them on a regular basis. The school was, was a lot more smaller than Footscray City College. It was a big school. I think it's a production school now, isn't it? Film and production. So it's quite a, it was quite a big school. So that was it was good for someone like me, you know, reserved and going to a boutique school also given that it was a Catholic school as well. So um, that was a big tick for my parents. We were only there for one year, I think, one year or two years. And then we moved again. So Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we moved again. Uh, they, f- they finally bought a house in Werribee. And then by that stage when I was in Keeler Downs, that's when I started playing footy. So When did you first pick up a footy? We had a um, – the kids in my, my class would, would go and play markers up or kick to kick at lunchtime and stuff. And I didn't, I didn't really have any friends. So I had to join in and they invited me to come down and play. So that was fun and they said, do you want to come down and play with us um, at our um, at our local uh, at our local footy club? I mean, it took, um, it took a bit of convincing um, uh, for my parents, but I kept on persisting and, you know, finally they, they let me go, you know, registered to the club and then, yeah – Played my first year of footy and it was it was fun. Made a lot of friends. Parents would come down to some of the games, stay back after training, all sorts of stuff, sausage sizzles. And I, I didn't feel any different. I think it was probably the first time in a long, long time from going to school and then um, experiencing some some bullying. And you know, when I when I played when I played footy and went to training, they just accepted me. Um, you felt like you belonged. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and then we moved out to Werribee and had to start all over again. So I went to MacKillop College, uh, which is another Catholic school. There was a football club across the road from uh, where we lived. My parents told me one night there was there was a training session to um, to go down and uh, introduce myself. I was quite nervous. Um, there was. A, I don't think that there's ever been a uh, an African person play that footy club or even that league. I'm glad I did because, um, yeah. Do you believe in mm-hmm. callings? I've, yes and no. I mean, um, do you I think get, you were born here? I mean, in this world, mm-hmm. and that you were destined. To, you yeah. were meant. You were meant to play AFL footy. Ah, oh, so it's it's hard sometimes. I think. You know, it's so bizarre, you know. Because uh, yeah. several things led you there. Mm-hmm. The friends, they invited you. Mm-hmm. You made your choices. Mm-hmm. You hesitated, talked with your parents, your friends. Mm-hmm. But do you think regardless of what choice you did, mm-hmm. you would have ended up playing footy anyway? I never gave it too much thought until now. Thinking about it now, I, I, I'd have to agree because um, my brother Augustino, he – he played soccer and we played soccer all the you, time. You, yeah. I remember you loved soccer. Yeah. So you, you were a goalie at one stage. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> Not a I, very good one. No, I, was, I was never good enough for soccer, but he kept pursuing soccer. No, actually, I think you would be fantastic yeah. as a goalkeeper, as in soccer too, if you, okay, if you stuck yeah. with that. Might be too big. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I had, I had opportunities to choose. Um, to choose. You did? Uh, to play soccer and keep going. and But, I yeah, I chose footy and along the way it's had its challenges. I mean, there, there are times where when I was younger that I wanted to give up and not play, but I just kept persisting. So the, maybe maybe it was my calling. So, Do you ever think about it for little Hendrix, your boy, who's three <laughs> yeah, now? Three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, he, he he's very um, 
he's very energetic. So he he runs around. He's just is your typical boy. Runs around, has so much energy. Um, wants to play with um, you know like a basketball or football. Wants to throw balls around the house. One thing I'm excited for is um, that he'll be he'll grow up in a conventional environment, unlike mine where it was interrupted between moving houses. You know, he can go to Oskik. I have the proper pathway that I didn't. If he wanted to play football or pursue basketball or whatever it is, but I think one thing that I'd like to pay forward is, you know, how supportive my parents have been over the years, and I think that's that's one thing I want to do with him. So. Would you have as many as many kids as your parents did? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, he's um he's he's hard work as it is. Um, throws tantrums. I, I I'm I'm in awe sometimes. Like how they had nine kids and you know provided and did everything that they like that they have for us. Um, I'll never be able to repay them back. Yeah, it's uh, it's unheard of, isn't it, to have to have a, a big family like that? Yeah, yeah they've. Made lots of sacrifices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, mm -hmm. when you finally played your first AFL game mm -hmm. at... Uh, 22, I think, maybe. 22? Okay. 22. So your first professional footy game ever, mm -hmm. compared to after the near-death yeah. experience that you went through and the comeback mm -hmm. from that, when you first played and you came back was in 2019? 2019, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. your first game back, 2019, compared after you nearly died, mm -hmm. compared to you, when game. you were young, first yeah. time, uh -huh. which one was sweeter? Uh, I think they're, they're both, they both hold a special place in my heart. The um, the comeback game, uh, just because the amount of work that I had to put in and really, um, it really, it just reminded me how grateful. Not that I wasn't, but you know, I took things for granted when I when I was when I was healthy and things were going well. At the same time, the first game that I played, my debut game, I had to work really hard and. I didn't realize how um, how hard you how hard you have to work to play an AFL game, you know, because if, if it's ta when it's taken away from you, you just you want what you can't have. But I think it, since coming back uh, from the injuries and stuff and the mental health journey, uh, it just made me realize how I, I want to protect things in my life, whether it's family, friends, um, opportunities, and just be grateful for things. Yeah, words well, kind of comprehend how challenging, how mm. difficult it was for you. You've, yeah. you've been through so much mm. and I only just pointed out the mm. two kind of obvious, you yes. know, yeah. memorable times. Mm -hmm. But in between you've had knee reconstructions, mm. um, other injuries and, and setbacks and just to play a game is kind of like a miracle yeah. each time. Oh, I think just to stay healthy and uh, to stay out, to train all the time. Despite all the challenges, um, you know, I'm, I'm still grateful that I that I got to have the opportunity to play AFL footy. I think sometimes when I think when I look back and I go, oh, did I did I try hard enough and did I give it a crack? But I think I did. Hindsight's a great thing, mate. And, you know, there's, there's there's no such thing as perfection. But a friend, uh, someone was telling me that uh, I think I've missed out throughout my whole career. About 170 games uh, through injury. So, who, who was that guy at? <laughs> I think it was one of the strength and conditioning coaches, right. or um, or Heath O'Loughlin, the guy I wrote the book with, um, the media manager. But yeah, I think it's a, it's it's really uh, that shows your resilience. Because mm. oh, I um, to have gone through all of it. Yeah, because when you when when you do play an AFL game, um, you know it's it. 
it's pretty hard, I must admit. Like, looking back, the games are so hard. If you do play a 7.40 game, 7.40 game at night, you come in the rooms about 9.30 at night, halftime. I remember I used to be yawning. <laughs> used to be yawning, but, you know, and then won't get home till about 12 once you do recovery, team meeting, hop back in the car, uh, sometimes um, be cramping and have to pull over um, and stretch and then get back in the car and drive home and won't have anything, you know, you don't feel like eating and you just feel sick. But And then you head to the beach in the morning, yeah, your favourite place and have yeah. your shirt off. <laughs> I had a clock beach rehab session. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really fulfilling um, just because, um, you know, I, I love a team environment, being part Shared of Shared experience. Yeah. So, and once you get people on the same page and, you know, you win a game of football, but there, there are the examples. So, mm. something that really struck out to me was during your recovery, mm. uh, you said that you spent a lot of time with the elderly. Yeah. In, in the hospital, and yeah. you were pretty much bedridden for, for months, three months or so. Yeah. And you could barely walk. Mm. I know that um, this is something that has been talked about a lot and be shared a lot. So I'll leave it with you how much you yeah. want to share about it. Yeah, I mean, it's like I was saying earlier, it just made me, I guess, miss miss just the simple things, you know, being able to walk. I remember I started in a wheelchair um, in hospital and um, I was in a lot of pain. And You broke your back and your pelvis. Yeah, so significant injuries. and But I was just I was just so eager to, um, you know, to, to fast track things and it, it made me, it made me learn to be patient and just wait for things to happen. I mean, my, the healing journey for, I guess, for the, for the bones to unite and also at the same time to work equally as hard in, uh, in the rehab. So, I was in the pool but at 7 a.m. in the morning, um, you know, doing a water aerobics with the elderly. So I had the noodles and stuff around me. But it's a, I guess that's a, sometimes that's that's what it takes, you know, breaking things down to really, really simple, achievable goals. And I think I had a, um, a double spreadsheet of all the goals that I had to hit before I could, you know, walk, um, walk unassisted uh, on crutches. And then on one crutch, and then just walk normally, and then and then being allowed to drive. So there was a there was a lot of milestones I had to tick off. But wow. uh, I was just I was just really determined. You must have been very proud mm-hmm. as you ticked off that list in the spreadsheet that yeah. we just take it for granted. Like mm-hmm. oh, we can walk, we can do this. Yeah. But you had to go back from scratch. Yeah, I think it's uh, – so usually the football club would take care of a player when they're injured or when they have surgery. Um, you know, the football club um, were not allowed to interfere, so it was just the uh, the hospital the hospital staff and the doctors. Um, they wanted to make sure that I was safe. Um, football was not a priority. I'm so grateful that there are, there are a lot of people that cared about me and, and I realised that, um, you know, at the lowest – um, times in my life that, you know, I had people who had genuine care and if I gave them my word that I'm going to work really hard and to try and get back, um, you know, to walking or even playing football, that they were going to be there by my side supporting me. So, How much did your, your son mm-hmm. inspire you in making that comeback? Yeah, it was a big driving factor just because I didn't want to let him down, um, you know. Because he wasn't born yet. No, he wasn't he wasn't born yet. So I had a lot of time to, um, you know, get get my life back on track also physically so I can just run around with him at a park or, you know, just do things with him um, that an able parent can. Um, so I just I didn't want to see – I didn't 
didn't want to raise my son um, in a wheelchair or on a crutch. But equally, there are people out there and, um, you know, that's why I'm so grateful that I um, made sure I work really hard, but some people aren't quite as lucky as I am. So, When Hendrix grows up, mm-hmm. so he's around the same age as when you arrived in Australia, mm-hmm. so when he's like 11 or something, what do you think you, you would share with him at, uh, that, at that stage? I'm, I'm not too sure if he'll be able to um, quite understand uh, what I went through at that age, but I think there's going to be there's, there's going to come a time where um, where he'll I guess find out on his own. I mean, because it's so well documented and it's all over the internet. I'll share as much as he wants me to share with him. Yeah. It's not something I um, I'm going to shy away from. I think just because it's such a big it's such a big issue in our in our in our society, mental health. You know, there's not enough work done in this area. It would completely break my heart if you know if I um, if I didn't support or teach Hendrix, um, you know, about about a, what, a good, what a good mental health looks like, how he should um, take care of his mental health, the steps that he needs to. Um, if he's struggling, I'd like to think that hopefully um, me and his mum are the first port of call if he's, if he's going through something. But When you say first port of call, how about mm-hmm. with your parents mm-hmm. when, when you were struggling mentally yeah. at that time? Did you feel comfortable to share with them? Yeah, no, I, I didn't. And that's one of those things um, kind of regret as well. I mean, they're a wealth of knowledge. I mean, they've been through so much in their life, fleeing the war back in South Sudan and then moving to Sudan, um, raising nine kids, all sorts of stuff. You know, anything that I, that I think I've been through, I'm sure they've been through it. Um, tenfold. So I didn't feel comfortable and it's not because I don't have a good relationship with my parents. I think it was more around the stigma around it and not knowing how they would take it. I think they they were generally heartbroken that I uh, that I didn't that I didn't um, ask them for help. So if I could go back, that's probably the one thing I would I would I would do. You'd be heartbroken too, right? If yeah, if your little boy didn't share. Absolutely, yeah. Before that, I I wasn't I, I wasn't a parent, so I didn't quite realize the love you have for your children, so or for your child, um, and. You know, you always want to. You feel like you always want to be there to protect them, but unfortunately, um, that wasn't the case. So I guess the chance that I have now is um, to make sure Hendrix can come to me. If that's not the case, hopefully he's got um, people that really care um, that that he can go to. What I think is mm-hmm. so beautiful now is if your boy ever needed needed help and was to talk to you, the way you would deal with it, you would have so much uh, compassion. Yeah. And I don't know what it was like to, to share with your parents mm. that stopped you. Yeah. Say like for myself, mm-hmm. when I lost my father, mm. 15, 16 years old and going through that and seeing my mom suffer with schizophrenia, I didn't really talk to my mom. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I already knew what she's going to say. Yeah. Okay. And she'd be like, don't talk about it. Yeah. Or to summon up, get over it. Yeah. Move on. Do yeah. study. Yes. Work hard. Move, yeah. yeah, I mean the thing is, obviously, um, culturally, culturally, I think since I've gone through my um, my experience with mental health and um, you know being in hospital and seeing the physical side of it, because mental health, I mean, it's it's invisible there. Yeah? You can't you can't see it. It's not like an injury, but uh, it's not treated like that. So in my culture, I mean, it was really um, it was never talked about really. Or when I was growing up, there wasn't wasn't really mentioned at home. I didn't even know about it until I was a bit 
bit older. It's one of those things, I guess, we have the opportunity to sort of change um, the landscape a little bit around that, especially being migrants and um, not being born here. There is a big cultural difference between, um, I guess, my friends that are born here and the kids uh, that have migrated here. Mm. Would you say things may have been a little bit different if you were educated about it, you had more support, more awareness? Yeah, absolutely. Even at school, um, you know, but I think it starts at, it starts at home with these stuff. I really believe it starts at home. And I think you can't, I can't really blame blame my parents. Um, I guess maybe that's, that's the way the way the way they they were brought up. So that's, exactly. So so that's the best they knew. Um, where I guess Hendrix will um will have a different upbringing. I mean, I'll I'll instill some of the values that my parents taught me, but also um you know there'll be an importance of mental health at home and making sure you know um. To, to communicate, how to communicate with his parents. It's been just over a year since you released your mm-hmm. your book. Yeah. Since then, you must be so incredibly grateful and just so taken aback by the love and support you've received. Mm. What kind of difference do you think it's made so far? Uh, I think it's really, when I was writing the book, so the opportunity came through my management. And at that time, I was still, I still hadn't played, I still haven't come back and played yet. I was still in rehab. I just thought I had so much growth to do around my mental health. Um, I just didn't feel like I I was quite there yet to, you know, open up and talk about things. Speaking to, you know, some people around me, my parents, um, my management, they said, you know, like your story will be able to help so many people. I think that's quite, um, it, it, it's quite humbling um, because it's a, it's different, right? You know, playing footy, you can make a difference there, inspire the kids to want to play football. But this is an opportunity to be able to connect with so many people, not people just from my culture, you know, everyone, so, and different um, age groups. So when COVID hit, we went to um, went up to the hub in Queensland. I think we were up there for about six months and by then I signed the book contract and there was a lot of downtime uh, throughout the day. We'd come back from training or just after dinner. And uh, Heath O'Loughlin was the media manager and... You've known him for quite a long time. Yeah, no, no, known him for a while. He's been there every step of the way throughout the journey. So there was there was no better person to, to do it with. And he's previously um, written a few books. Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was a lot of work. I, um, you know, I didn't... I thought he was going to be the one doing everything. But, um, you know, we sat down a lot, you know, sat down like this and... Recorded a lot of um, a lot of conversations. He'd go and write write some chapters, and then he'll send it to me. Um, I'll read them and then edit it and send it back to him, and then he'll send it back to me. So it was a lot of work. It was really therapeutic just to see how far I've come. And yeah, it was it was one of those things. Once you know, once I'm old and uh, I'm not around anymore, you know, this this book will still be here. It's incredibly courageous and raw, mm. and so heartfelt i know so many people would have said this to you but yeah i really want to thank you for opening up and sharing your story i appreciate that yeah i think it's uh um starting to see some change around um i've had a lot of people so many good feedback coming up to me saying read your book take some measures around their mental health so if people are starting to get educated around my story then you know i think that's a it's far bigger than anything else I, would, I, I can achieve. So We're sharing here. We're not offering any advice mm-hmm. to people who are listening. But as 
you know, suggestions. Um, if we're if one of us is having a, a difficult time mentally, how could where could we start? What what are some resources, um, mm-hmm. places to go to? Do you have any kind of um, thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, and I think that's important too to mention that these are my experiences. I'm, yeah. I'm not a um, I'm not a uh, an expert or a professional by any stretch of the imagination. But I guess if someone is struggling, um, you know, not knowing what the right measures are, speak to someone you really trust. Whether that's whether it's your parent, um, a friend, a partner, I think that's a really good that's a really good start. However, you know if you feel like if you feel uncomfortable, then um, there are challenges around around this area, being judged, all that stuff. Um, speak to your local GP. The government does provide 10, um, 10 free sessions. Speak to a therapist, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist. And one thing that I've that I've learned through my um, through my um, journey and education around mental health you know not there's there's no um they're all different everyone's mental health um is it's so is is really different so you have to find what works for you um through the professionals i think it's the best way to go you may have to to go through you know one or two or three psychologists until you find the one that's comfortable with you because that's really important someone you you really trust and connect with yeah um so then they can help you give you the tools um you know, how to, um, I guess, take control of your destiny, you know, reclaim um, your life. and But consistency is important. What was your biggest fear? Yeah. I think starting to get help at that time or mm-hmm. putting it off. Yeah. I think it's, it was more in um, being felt judged. I, I was really lucky. The club doctor that um, from North Melbourne, his name is Dr. Peter Bequee. He was someone I really trusted and I owe him a great deal. Um just the amount of help over the years. He was someone I could ring in the middle of the night saying, Pete, you know, I've been struggling all week. It encouraged me to go see my psych. He was um, like a best friend. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit older, but he was um, it was amazing. And I think from those conversations with Pete, that's why I was saying earlier, um, to speak to someone that you really trust that generally has the care for you. Um, so when in those times of need, you can call them and, you know, call upon them and uh, they can tell you to go... Um, you know, spend some time with your with your therapist, build a good relationship with them because you want to be able to talk openly to them um, so they can help you uh, in the right way. But you know, also at the same the same time, I should mention, you know, nothing is permanent. So you might have a bad week, a bad month. Um, you know, there's there's always a chance um, to get it right again. That also mm-hmm. applies the other way around. Mm-hmm. Would you say you yeah. could have a great time and yeah. that may not last? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, one of the things I used to speak about with my uh, therapist. You have to see the importance of um, of getting your mental health right because in the past it could have I could I could no longer be around. So, and that's um, that hits you right between the eyes. You know, I guess if I wasn't around, I wouldn't be a father to Hendrix. Um, wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast. So it's um, it's really important that um, you know people do get the right help. So. What also really hit me was you said before how you've gone through mm-hmm. your AFL career mm-hmm. and 2018 was your best year, mm. career best year, yeah. and you were thriving, mm. going places, um, huge contract and seemingly for people outside, like this guy's made it. Yeah. Magic's a star now, like he's, he's you know. Mm-hmm. And then inside it may not be all at peace, it may not be all... Yeah. you know, blooming, mm-hmm. you may have like, if I'm doing so well or if I can, 
if I can go through adversity throughout my whole life, then this mental battle shouldn't be too hard. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, um, what's the saying? The straw that broke the camel's back, you know? I mean, it's a, an element of hardship. Is There's scope for it because it builds resilience, um, makes you believe in yourself more. You can do things uh, through hardship. But I think it's really strange because uh, finally this is this is what I wanted, um, playing regularly, um, you know, on the verge of a big contract. Was uh, it almost everything you wanted? Yeah, it was everything I wanted. But um, at the same time it just goes just goes to show, you know, when um, – the mind is very um, is very powerful. It could be your biggest asset or your biggest detriment um, if you don't continually in, in invest in looking after looking after your mind. Conversely, when I started to heal and started to invest in um, my mental health, um, I saw how quickly I was healing, how quickly I was um, you know getting strong. Um, you know, hitting my parameters, and so yeah. I mean, if you don't take care of it, it could ruin you. But if you if you take care of your your mind, it can take you to great places. Do you believe in muscle memory? Yeah, because mm-hmm. we went back to zero mm-hmm. in the hospital, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you got so jacked again. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's a, um, I guess you know through through the rehab period over the years and pre-seasons and, you know, the gym sessions. I did train really hard over the years. Um, so I was really lucky. Um, combined that good genetics and a good... And all the dedication. <laughs> and all the dedication and a good program. It's amazing how, how things come back. Um, Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say you probably have, like, one of the best, like, <laughs> bodies ever in the history of AFL, aesthetically. I mean, people have mentioned that. I mean, um, I think it's... That probably got to your head when you were were young. (laughs) I had to, um, you know, I had to really um, stay grounded. I remember, you know, when I first came in, being a... I I didn't go in the the national draft. I was a rookie. So, you know, all this attention and the profile that didn't really match uh, the the career. There were other players who also... But your head coach mm, set you straight. Yeah, he did. So that's why if I could give it a little small piece of advice to any oh. aspiring kids who want to play AFL footy, you know, just make sure you always you always stay grounded. You know? Never forget where you come from. So, mm. In the future, mm-hmm. you're going to into your 30s. Mm-hmm. In footy terms, that's kind of old. Yeah. But in life, as a man, that's kind of like yeah. you're not even at your peak. You're, this yeah. is like prime. So what's... What are you looking forward to? What I'm looking forward to, I mean, I um, I always say, um, playing football is quite selfish. Not in the sense, but in the sense of time. It takes up so much time. You're always training, and then you're always making sure your body's is recovered and it's in the right shape and to perform again at the next at the next training session or the next game. So now, you know, spend a bit more time with my family, spend time with Hendrix, invest more in the mental health uh, space. Yeah, and maybe travel a little bit. How about Bodybuilding. <laughs> no, uh, I reckon I'd... Mr. Olympia. Mr. Olympia, nah. It's, uh, it's gruelling. I think the body needs a rest. <laughs> yeah. With your book, is there something, an extract, a page there that you'd, you'd like to share yeah. with, with people that people may not give much attention to? I've never done this, so it's... Um, Sorry to put you on the spot. No, no, that's all right. That's fine. I mean, I, I can't remember what the, the page number is, but I think it's – I remember when Hendrix was born um, and it just – it's somewhere in the book there um, uh, for the readers. I'm, I remember um, when he was born and 
how my perspective on life changed. Um, you know, it was always about me, uh, me and my partner. By that time, I was I was still in the rehab pr- process, and I was on the verge of just coming back to, to full training. And it was really, it was really demanding. He was a bad sleeper <laughs> when he was a baby, so I'd get home from training, and you know, spend a bit of time with him. You know, uh, give him a bath, uh, give him a bottle. But just be, a few weeks. Yeah, old. yeah, just a few weeks old, and he'd be up. Uh, even a few months, it'd be up in the middle of the night, 4 a.m. in the morning and Emily's Emily's had a full day um, of looking after him and she'd be exhausted and I'd go take him from his cot and uh, bring him into bed and um, I'd just stay wide awake and he'd just sleep on my chest. And it just made me realise um, my parents had to do that for nine kids. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was just, just, you know, just a different perspective, you know, the genuine care that I have for him and... Yeah, I remember those days and then had to wake up at six and go to training. So I'm just really glad I got things right with my mental health just so I can persevere through those through those long nights. Makes me very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> what might be your um, biggest regret in your life if you look back on it? Yeah, I guess I look at it uh, in two ways. I regret that I, that the, the hurt that I've put uh, so many people through, uh, my parents, uh, siblings, because maybe I was um, maybe a little bit arrogant or just thought I, I was invincible, that, um, you know, that things would be all right. But unfortunately, I wish I was a lot stronger with my decision and uh, got the right help that I needed. Yeah, like I think it's one of those things I will never be able to take back, but just seeing how much it broke a lot of people's hearts. Mm. That's incredibly honest and you are here mm-hmm. in this world and you're inspiring mm. so many. And Thank you. I'm sure everyone, mm. everyone, if they have been hurt, they would just be so, so blessed that you are here still. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And lastly, what are you most proud about in your life? Mm. I'm, I'm really proud to be Hendrix's dad. Yeah. Hopefully the listeners don't take this the wrong way. But, you know, when he's a bit older, starts going to primary school and he starts talking about uh, dad played footy, blah, 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 um, you know, in a way that he's he's proud of me. So I'm really proud that hopefully I um, I can keep, I can keep uh, setting the right pathway for him and I could be someone that he's proud of. So Thank you so much, Majak. Is there anything that last things that you wanted to share and say that? Yeah. Hasn't been expressed in past yeah. podcasts or interviews. Yeah, I think we've, we've covered a range of topics, but I think just to reiterate the point, you know, if um, if you are struggling with mental health, there are there are a lot of services out there um, anonymously. All this stuff is um, is confidential. Reach out to someone um, and get the help you need. You know, also be optimistic. I mean, <laughs> don't take life too seriously. You know, have fun too. So this has got to be like one of the best days of, of my life this year to spend this time with you. Thanks, Brandon. It's been a long time coming. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've averaged in a, a meet-up once every 10 years. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> so, it's, hopefully it's, uh, it's more frequent. Uh, thank you again. And would you like to just yeah. show everyone the your book, Magic Door with Heath O'Loughlin? It moved me to tears, an incredible story. It's only just a start. Yeah. Sometimes I think I'm getting old, but, you know, yeah, 31 still young, I guess. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Till next time. All right. Yeah. Thanks.